welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. We're going to be in Matthew 25 today. You can meet me in Matthew 25 in your Bibles or on your phones. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 994 in that Bible. Matthew 25. After the first service, someone said to me, thanks for the most encouraging message I've heard all year. But I'm 99% sure he was being sarcastic. So who's ready to be challenged by God's word this morning? We've been in a series called Living for Eternity and talking about the fact that we are literally going to be living for eternity, that we are eternal beings. In one way or another, we will live eternally. And yet we're also talking about it in the sense, how do we live for that eternity now? If the things that we do in this life have an impact on eternity, what type of people should we be? And that is the challenge from 2 Peter 3.11. In light of Jesus coming back, in light of us standing before him, in light of us being judged for what we've done in this life, in light of eternity being where we will spend most of our existence, in light of eternity being our home that we were designed for, in light of all those things, what kind of people ought we be as we live out our lives here on earth as followers of Jesus? There's a story, true story, of a security guard who was doing his rounds one night, late at night, and he was patrolling his building. And as he was going and doing his rounds and checking all the doors, he found that there was one outside door that had been taped over, kind of like in this picture here, so that it wouldn't lock. And that wasn't that unusual for him to see. Sometimes when people were moving in and out of the building, uh, they would do that so that they could get in and out really quick during the day. And so it wasn't that weird. So he ripped the tape off, uh, shut the door, made sure it locked, and continued on his rounds. As he went around uh, an hour or two later, he came back around to the same area, and he noticed the, the exact same door was taped once again making sure that it would stay open. So at that point, he called the police and said, I think there must be a break-in happening. And so the police came, and they did a search of the building, and sure enough, they did find burglars in the building. There were people there who were not supposed to be there, and they were breaking into an office, and they were stealing files. And it turns out that that building that I'm talking about was the Watergate Hotel, an office center, And the burglars that were there had been sent there in a roundabout way by President Nixon, and they were the offices of his political enemies, and they were breaking in to steal things to get some dirt on their political enemies. And the whole scandal blew up, of course, and in the months and the cover-up and everything that followed, uh, he had to resign the office in disgrace, changing the world's power structure dramatically. Uh, Whether you like him or not, he was the president, the most powerful man in the free world. Uh, Him stepping down had a dramatic effect on the entire world, on global politics on warfare and all kinds of things, all because of one little piece of tape on the door that the security guard noticed. Another story, a man walks into Blockbuster Video. Remember when you used to say that as a sentence? (laughs) Doesn't exist anymore. You don't say that phrase. A man goes into Blockbuster Video. He has movies, uh, he has a couple movies, and they are late, and he knows they are late. So he goes to the desk and says, sorry, these are late. Uh, What do I owe you? And the girl says, $40, late fees. He says, $40 seems excessive to me. 
Uh, he says, I'm a few days late. And she said, well, there are new releases, and this is the policy, and you signed your agreement, and so it's $40. And he says, that's ridiculous. $40 for being a couple days late. That's too much. Let me talk to the manager. The manager comes out, and they talk back and forth, and finally, when it's all said and done, he owes Blockbuster Video $40, the whole fee. So he drives home fuming. He thinks this is ridiculous. It's way too much money uh, for a late fee. And at his dinner table that night, he begins to think, there's got to be a better way for us to rent videos without late fees. There's got to be a better way for us to do this. And so at his dinner table, he starts to sketch out the original ideas for what's eventually going to evolve into Netflix. All because of one $40 late fee on a couple of videos. As for Blockbuster Video, I think we all know what happened <laughs> there. It must have been the sweetest revenge of all time to watch those. One more story, closer to home for me. When I was 15, we started to go to a new church, and uh, my parents prayed about it a lot. We checked out this church. They fell in love with it. I was not walking with Jesus at all at this point in my life. And so we went to this church, and because I was not walking with Jesus at all, I did not want to be at church. I hated going to church. My parents forced me to go to church. And so I decided if they were going to drag me to church, I was just going to radiate my annoyance to everybody. I do not want to be here. I'm here under protest. This is not where I want to be. And I just radiated that attitude as much as I could. I wanted to make sure everyone knew that I did not want to be at church that morning. And so the first morning we walk in, we meet this couple, John and Mark Dalgleish. And Mark has gone to be with Jesus at this point, and John is still with us. And Marg is exactly how she looks in this picture. She's a grandma, and she's just the sweetest little old lady that you ever met. And so I walked in as a surly, annoyed 15-year-old, and we met this couple, and Marg just wrapped me up in a big grandma hug. I'd never been hugged in church, ever. I didn't know how I felt about it. But she just went, oh, come here, and she gave me a big hug. And she was just like the sweetest, most loving grandma. She's like, oh, look at you. You're such a big boy. You should be a football player. And just so lovely and sweet and encouraging. And she did that every single Sunday that I came Every single Sunday that I came to church, she would, it's like she was looking for me. And I wasn't anywhere near Jesus. And I wouldn't come to Jesus for a few more years. But it was people like Mark, and there were several others as well, but it was people like Mark uh, who, when I came to church and I was cynical about it all, and I thought Christians were phony, uh, the church we had been in before was a very kind of cold and distant place. It was solid, but the people weren't overly friendly. Uh, you know, those hugs and those words and that sweetness was one of the things that God used to soften that cynical heart, to break down that bad attitude. It was one of the things he used to open me up and get me ready to receive Jesus. The whole world changed because there was a piece of tape stuck on a door. Technology and industry changed because of one late fee that a guy got that he thought was unfair. I came to Jesus because a lady took some time to love a teenager who was obviously not wanting to be at church. The little things we do in life can have huge impact. The little things that we do in life can have such a ripple effect that we don't understand. And sometimes I think as followers of Jesus, it's, we're looking for home runs all the time. What's the huge thing we can do? What's the big ministry we can achieve? What's the big get for God and I think sometimes it's not about that. Those things are wonderful. But sometimes I think it's just the little everyday things. It's the little things we do in life. 
the little tiny things that you could miss if you blink, but the little things that we do that can have a huge impact. You remember the first week of this series, we watched that clip from Gladiator with that great line, what we do in life echoes in eternity, right? Remember that? It just set the tone for this whole series. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And as we're going to see today, as we look at one of the parables of Jesus, uh, it is the little things in life that we do that have a huge impact on our eternity. And we're talking today about judgment, and we talked a little bit about it last week, this idea that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all stand before him, and we will give an account for what we did with our time here on earth. We will give an account to him. And as we're going to see today, it's not necessarily the huge things that are going to impress Jesus. It's the little things in life that are going to impress him. Let's take a look at our text. We're in Matthew 25. We're starting, excuse me, we're starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So that is one of the stories that scripture gives us of the final judgment. It's not the only one, but it is one of the stories. And uh, it's not... If we were to look at that story just on its own, with no other scripture and no other context, it would appear that the righteous are getting into heaven because they have done these things, right? And the unrighteous are not getting into heaven because they didn't do those things. And that's one reason why we don't ever look at scripture just one on its own. We look at scripture in the context of the rest of scripture. And so the rest of scripture makes very clear that we are not saved because of what the Bible calls good works. The, the good things that we do, the righteous actions in our lives, we're not saved because of those things. We are saved because Jesus has saved us. We are saved because he has reached down and said, come with me if you you want to live, just like the Terminator. Jesus has offered that to us, and we are saved because of that, and the Bible makes that very clear. And yet the Bible also says that faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. Faith, if it doesn't produce righteous action, is not actually faith. 
And so it's not that we are saved because we do these things, but we, when we are saved, we will do those things. Because out of our gratitude to God and out of him changing us into a new person, we are going to want to live righteously in order to fulfill his will and in order to live a life that pleases him. So it's not that these good works lead to our salvation, but these good works are the evidence of our salvation which has come by faith through what he has done for us. If you have any questions about that, you can ask Pastor Mesh when he's feeling better. We will be judged. And we've been talking about this throughout this series. We will be judged. Verse 31, all the nations will be gathered before him. Everybody, every tribe, every tongue, every people group, everyone will stand before God and he will separate them. Jesus is talking in a time uh, when everyone's a farmer. And so he uses this kind of farming picture that just like a shepherd, uh, there will be a division that happens. And this division determines our eternity. It's important. And so Jesus will judge us. And I was looking through the scriptures going, okay, well, what will we be judged on? That would be important to know, right? If there's a final exam coming, it would be good to know what's on the exam. If we are going to be judged by God, what is he going to judge our lives on? This is what I was able to find. I don't know if it's conclusive, but this is where I got. We will be judged on our actions. We will be judged on our words. We will be judged on our motivations, the motives of our heart. We will be judged on our thoughts. And we will be judged on our attitudes. That's all, everybody. Everything we've ever done, everything we've ever said, the secret motives that fueled those things that we did and said, the thoughts in our minds, and our attitudes. And I'm glad I'm not that moody teenager anymore. This is what God will look at when we stand before him. This is what we will give an account and an explanation of our lives for. But here's the thing as we look at this parable. The focus of the judgment is on the little things in our lives. The focus is on the little things, those little everyday ways that we blessed someone else, that we reached out to someone else, that we helped somebody else. It wasn't the big, huge things. It wasn't how huge a ministry did you build or how many millions did you give to charity. And don't get me wrong, we will be judged on that too if we do that. If we're going to be judged by everything, we'll be judged and rewarded for all of it. But the focus of this judgment that we see in this picture is not on huge things. It's on little everyday things. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, Jesus says, verse 35. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. It's the little things in life that we are all capable of doing. We can all welcome someone into our home. We can all share a meal with somebody. We can all do something to help the poor. We can all reach out in these ways. And so the question is not, did you do huge things in this? story. The question is, did you love people well? Did you bless them? Did you meet needs when you saw needs in your life? Did you make your life about other people? Did you serve other people? Did you reach out and go beyond yourself in just these little everyday ways that we are all capable of doing? We could do all those this afternoon if we wanted to. Jesus makes it so simple. There's a story, remember a few years ago, there was a mine collapse in Chile, and they were trapped down there for a couple months, and uh, they figured out a way to kind of drill down and get some communication going, and it took a while. It was a big international effort for them to, uh, to get them all up, but they got everyone up safely. Everyone survived, and there was no long-term damage done to anyone, uh, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful picture of the world coming together and countries coming together and sharing their technology and uh, all in the effort to save these souls. 
And as some of them began to give interviews when they got out, uh, one of the most common ones was, how did you get through it? You were down there for weeks and weeks and weeks and down there in the dark and not knowing if the rest of the mine's going to cave in on you and you're just waiting and hoping that they're going to be able to figure out a way to get you out before you starve to death. Or like, what did you guys do? How did you get through it? Was it that we sent down food? Was it that we sent down medicine? The president of the country had sent messages down. The pope had sent messages down. And they said, actually, people in Chile just started writing us letters, and that's actually what really got us through, is that just ordinary people were writing us words of encouragement. You can do this. We're praying for you. Don't lose hope. We're going to get you out of there. And they said, that is what got us through. That is what gave us the strength. That is just those little touches of people taking time. The thought that people were caring about us, the thought that people were praying for us, that's really what gave us strength to get through. Do you see how little effort it takes to be a blessing to somebody? How long would it take to sit and write a letter to encourage somebody? It takes such little effort to encourage someone. It takes such little effort to make someone's day. Jesus said, this is how small an effort is required. Anyone who gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Matthew 10, 42, a cup of water for a child. That's how simple it is to be a blessing to someone. And everyone who's had kids and done the four o'clock in the morning water call says, woohoo, I'm good. Reward in heaven. Just a cup of water. That's how small. Who can't do that? Doesn't matter how much money we have or how busy we are. Who can't give a cup of water to somebody? Who can't invite someone into their house for a coffee or a meal? Who can't do these things? And here's the thing. Jesus takes it really personally when we bless other people. He takes it personally. And that makes sense because he's our Lord and we're his kids. And of course, you know, if any of us have kids, when someone's kind to my kids, it, it moves my heart, right? I feel good. When someone says something nice to them or brings them a gift or whatever, uh, my heart soars and I'm so grateful to that person. And I take it personally when, when someone does that. I go, wow, that's incredible. Thank you for, for blessing my kid. But Jesus actually takes it a whole level beyond that. He doesn't just take it personally because he loves it when someone blesses his kids. He says it this way in verse 37 of our text. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's how personally Jesus takes it. When we bless somebody else, when we encourage somebody else, when we fill a need in somebody else, Jesus takes that as if we have done that to him personally. That's how personally he takes it. And who can't share a meal or give a drink or show some kindness to a stranger? Who can't help the needy in some way or care for the sick or visit someone in prison? And this should not be considered a, an exhaustive list of, you know, you only have to do these six things. The heart of it is helping others, fulfilling needs, reaching out especially to those who are less fortunate. All of these things on here are easy to do. There's nothing on here uh, that is that difficult. Look how easy it is to please the Lord. Look how easy it can be to please the Lord. Just the little ways, the little things, the little ways in which we bless one another. And so in that sense, the pressure is off because we can all do those things. We don't have to worry about necessarily achieving huge things, although we certainly can and aspire to that. But it's not necessarily about that being the focus of this final judgment. So the pressure is off because we can do all of those things on that list. But in another sense, the pressure is on because we can do all of those things on that list. There's no excuses anymore. 
You can't just say, well, that person did great things for God, but they're gifted in ways that I'm not, so sorry. Those little ways that we can bless, any one of us can do that. So the pressure's off in that it's not that hard, but the pressure's on in that we don't really have any excuses for not doing it. And it's so easy in life. Like, I don't think anyone here probably disagrees with anything I've said so far, right? Should we bless people? Of course. And should we help the needy? Of course. That part's not that hard. But when it comes to actually living it out, that's where it gets trickier. I don't think anyone says to themselves, I'm not going to be a blessing this week. But then all of a sudden it's Saturday and all you did was go to work and and take care of your kids and you never looked beyond that, right? And how many of us, that's our lives, right? Our lives are our careers and our family, And that's where all of our attention goes. And we want your attention to go to your family. Don't get me wrong. But one of the things Jesus does in his word is he actually radically redefines what the word family means. Jesus is ministering, and his mother and his brothers come to him. And they say, Lord, your family's here to see you. And Jesus says, actually, this is my family. The people of God are my family. And we want our families strong, and we want husbands to be good husbands and wives to be good wives. We want parents to be good parents. But your family doesn't stop at your bloodline. It doesn't stop at your nuclear, nuclear unit as a follower of Jesus. Your family goes beyond that. And, and the scripture emphasizes so much, are you reaching out to the stranger? Are you inviting them to participate with your family sometimes? Are you bringing them into your home? Are you bringing the lonely in? Are you reaching out to those who are hungry? Why don't you do that as a nuclear family? Let's take our kids and teach them how to help and how to serve and how to give and how to invite people in. As a family, we can do that. Because so many stories, so many testimonies begin with something like, how did you come to Jesus? I met a really great Christian, right? And they took me to coffee, or they invited me over for a meal, or, or they invited me to church, and they took time with me, and they answered my questions, and they invested me. Like, so many testimonies start that way, with just a person showing love in simple, little, practical ways. There's a restaurant in Amherstburg called Maria's. How many know Maria's? We lived in Amherstburg for a while as I pastored at a church there. And Maria's, it's kind of a diner, greasy spoon right on the main street in town. And there was a couple in the church, and they would, every single Sunday, uh, they would be worshiping, but they would also be kind of looking around, and they'd be saying, who do we know and who do we not know? And they knew everybody in the church because they'd been there forever. But they'd be saying, who's a stranger? Who's a visitor here? And then if they saw someone after the service, they would go up to them and they would say, hi, I'm Jack and this is Jerry. Welcome. Good to see you. And do you have any questions about the church? And they would just give an introduction. And uh, they say, if you're not doing anything, we'd love to take you to lunch after the service. And some of those people are Christians. Some of those people are not Christians. They're just checking out the church. But we'd love to take you to lunch. Let's go to Maria's. And Jack and Jerry would go to Maria's anyway, like even if no one would go with them. They were going to go to Maria's after church because that's what they did. But they, every Sunday they looked for someone to bring. And so I was preaching on this passage uh, at this church years ago, and I just asked for an illustration. I said, how many people here, the first time you came to Amherstburg Community Church, the memory that has lingered with you is not whatever was preached that day or what worship songs were sung, but how many of you, your first memory of Amherstburg Community Church was Jack and Jerry inviting you out to Maria? Stand up. And well over two-thirds of the church stood up. And they were mad at me, Jack and Jerry. 
Because that's not why they were doing it at all. And they were just, they were humble and they were quiet and they didn't want to be in the spotlight. And I, and I thought they were a good example to use of just this type of thing. Of They were just inviting people. They weren't trying to grow a church. They weren't trying to do anything. But for people, there were people who came to Jesus. And it started with Jack and Jerry inviting them to Maria's after church. There were other people who were looking for a church and didn't feel like they fit in anywhere. And that show of love helped them feel like this could be a family I could stick with. And they stayed and it was just a lunch. There was no deep spiritual discussion. There was no question and answer about theology. It was just, hey, can we share a meal with you? And the only reason Jack and Jerry did it was because of passages like this that said, have you shown kindness to a stranger? Have you shared a meal with someone? And so they said, we're going to live that out. And anything God wants to do with that, God can do with that. But we're just going to be faithful to what he's called us to do. It's so simple. Just the little things in life. And Jesus takes it personally when we bless. Jack and Jerry are still with us, but I have no doubt when they stand before God, uh, they will have a long list of good things because they live their life that way. They just said, we are going to find ways to bless people in the everyday, in the little things of life. Jesus takes it personally when we bless, but what this passage also shows us is that he also takes it personally when we don't. That's the flip side of it. Jesus says to the goats, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And that's not as encouraging as the first part. That Jesus says, when you turn a blind eye to these things, right? When you are too busy or when you are too focused on other things, I, when you, there is need in your life that you don't step up and help with, I will consider that you are not stepping up and helping me. Both the sheep and the goats in this story are surprised by this kind of language, right? Like they're surprised, the sheep, the righteous saying, Lord, when did, I didn't bring you a meal. What are you talking about? And the unrighteous are saying, Lord, like we, hey, we would have brought you a glass of water, Jesus. If you were in front of us, Jesus, we would definitely have helped you. And Jesus is saying, well, you didn't because there were people around you in need and you didn't do anything. And I take it so personally that when you help, I will consider it that you have helped me personally. And when you don't, I will consider that you did not help me personally. Those are powerful words. Those are challenging. But that's how personally Jesus takes the way we treat one another. And if that sinks in, then I would hope that's going to have an effect on how we talk to one another and how we encourage one another and how we love one another, how we disagree with one another. If we imagine, hey, if I'm going to disagree with Wes, let's pretend Wes is actually Jesus. I'm probably not going to be disrespectful and rude, right? Jesus takes it personally, the way that we treat one another. And these things that we've been talking about, sharing a meal and inviting someone in and, and reaching out and being an encouragement, giving a glass of water, these are not hard to do. They're not. They're not hard to do, but they're really easy to miss in the busyness of life. They're not hard to do, but they're really easy to miss. No one ever wakes up thinking, I'm not going to be a blessing today. But just the day gets away from you, and work gets in there, and family gets in there, and busyness gets in there, and, and all the craziness of our life gets in there. It's not hard to do any of these things, but it's really easy to miss if we don't make an effort to do them. And if we are going to stand before him and give an account, at least in part on how we did on these types of things, maybe they should be a bit more of a priority for us because they're obviously hugely important to him. And if we're focused on living a life that pleases him, then maybe these things need to be on our radar a little bit more. There's a teaching of Jesus that we call the golden rule. 
that says treat others the way you would want to be treated, right? We know that if you've been around church for a while, and it's good. It's a good motivator. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. If I want to be treated with respect, then I'll be respectful. And if I want to be uh, treated with generosity, then I better be generous. And if I want to be treated with kindness, I'm going to seek to be kind. And uh, if I want my needs taken care of, I should probably take care of some other needs. And so there's a good kind of reciprocity in that. It's a good way to live your life. How would you want to be treated? Treat other people that way. That's the golden rule. There's no name for this one, but I'm going to call it the Jesus rule. Jesus takes it actually to a whole other level. The golden rule is treat others the way you would want to be treated. The Jesus rule, as we're calling it, is Jesus says, treat others the way you would treat me personally. Treat others the way you would treat me if I was in the room with you, if I was the one with the need, if I was the one struggling financially, if I was the one who needed an encouraging email or phone call. Treat others the way you would treat me if I was right in front of you. We're just about ready to wrap up today. If you have any questions, we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and we would love to answer those questions and take some time or at least keep the conversation going. I know this isn't an easy message. I know it's challenging. And yet, as we talk about eternity, we wanted to talk a bit about, well, what does that judgment look like? What is important to Jesus and the way that we live our lives? I think it might not necessarily be the big things that we thought it was. Although, again, we'll be judged on all of it and rewarded accordingly. But these little things in life, how are we treating people in our midst? How are we treating need when we find need in our lives? There's a story in the news this week that you may have seen There's a young man named Benjamin Cole Brown, and he was a humanitarian worker in Haiti. And I knew him as Cole Brown. We went to the same church for a while. And a number of years ago, Cole went to Haiti on a missions trip, a short-term trip, just going down to help, and just fell in love with the people and had his heart broken by the poverty and gave his life from that point on. He said, I'm leaving, I'm leaving Canada. I'm leaving my job. I'm leaving comfort. I'm leaving luxury. I'm leaving it all behind, and I'm going to go and serve these people. And last week, Cole was in an airplane. They had just dropped off some aid after the hurricane, and the plane was coming back home, uh, and it crashed into the ocean. And Cole was... Uh, I said in the last service, I remember meeting him for the first time. And I was pastoring at this church. It was a big church. I was young pastor on staff. And he and his wife came in, and they were just ridiculously good-looking and trendy and, you know, expensive sunglasses and stuff. And I said, they were a couple, and this is my issue, obviously. They were a couple that when they walked in, I went, oh, he must be a jerk. He's just too good-looking. It's just... I don't feel that way about myself when I look in the mirror, but... And as I got to know Cole and his wife, he was just the most incredible guy. He just had a heart of gold. He was the most encouraging person. And people are starting to post tributes on Facebook for him right now. And as they post these tributes, everyone's talking about how wonderful he was. And, and as you do that, you, you know, often when there's a funeral, you, you don't talk about the bad stuff. You only emphasize the good stuff. And that's good. That's proper. That's honoring. But as I've been thinking about Cole this week, I've thought, I don't know what bad 
you would say about him. I really don't. He was just one of those guys. He wasn't perfect. No one was perfect, but he just had a pure heart. And as evidenced by the fact that he left it all behind, he left everything he had, all his comfort and money and everything, and he left it to go and serve. And he lived in Haiti and he built houses and he built medical centers and he built schools. And uh, he had a place that he lived, but he would go often and he would stay with families in the slums and he would get to know them and he would sleep on their dirt floor and he would drink their horrible water and he would live with them. And he said, I want to know the people that I'm living with. I want to know the people that I'm serving. And he gave everything to go down there and do that. And ultimately, of course, he has given his life in service of that. And that might not be the call on your life. Not all of us are called to go like that, certainly. Uh, although I do believe, I really do believe this week as I was preparing and praying, I do believe the Lord has said there are people in this church who will go and do that, that type of sacrifice. God will begin to speak to your heart on that. If you want to talk about that, we would love to chat with you about that. So we might not all be called to do that, but there's two things about that that really impacted me this week, besides the fact that it was, it was someone I knew who was lost so tragically, is that, first of all, he met his eternity suddenly and a lot sooner than he thought he would. And that is true of all of us as a possibility, right? He was living his life. He was my age. He was going about his business. He was just going through his day. Uh, he had plans for the future. He had everything uh, lined up for what he was going to do next. And in an instant, he found himself standing before Jesus. And he knew Jesus and he loved Jesus. And I have complete peace about that. But the other question is, what will our lives look like when we stand before him? And as I was reading and preparing this week, I thought, man, Cole was doing all, the, all these things and more. And when he stands before Jesus and Jesus says, hey, what, what have you done with this time that I gave you? Cole's going to have a pretty good report, I think. I have confidence in that. And so Cole can inspire us with his life, and he can also challenge us with his life. I was looking at Cole this week, and I just thought, what am I doing with my life, right? Like, look what he has done in his time on earth. He's built houses, and he's saved lives, and he's building a medical center. And, and you know, what am I doing? I was so challenged, and I continue to be challenged. What are we doing with the time that we have? Not everyone is called to do this, but what are we doing? How are we blessing other people? How are we helping? How are we serving? How are we fulfilling needs? Because those things that we do or don't do are going to have a dramatic impact on eternity and have a dramatic impact on this world that we live in as we look to be light and as we look to be salt and as we look to represent Jesus to other people. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, today's message was not easy necessarily. It challenges us profoundly on our priorities and what we are doing with the time that we have. And yet, Lord, we want to live a life that pleases you. We want to live a life that makes an impact. We want to help and we want to serve. And so open our eyes, Father, to the need that is around us. Open our eyes to the person who needs to be invited over or to the, the place that we need to give some money to or serve some of our time with or whatever that may look like. Open our eyes and help us to remember your words and how personally you take it when we bless others, how personally you take it when we don't. And we can't do it all, Lord, but help us to see where we can and help us to see where we should, where you would lead us by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.